Amen. Thank you so much, Zit Choir. Let's give God some praise for the Zit Choir. Thank you. Thank you so much. Join me in the reading of Genesis chapter one, chapter three. Genesis chapter three. Genesis chapter three. And I want to read verses one through seven, clause A. Genesis chapter three, verses one through seven, clause A. Amen. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, so it may sound a bit different, but Genesis chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say, you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied, it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced she saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate also. At that moment, their eyes were opened. Word of the Lord, you may be seated. few weeks ago, I began a series of sermons under the series title of The Power of Words. And in a previous sermon, I attempted to show you just how words can and are used in both a negative and the positive sense, and how words house the power to either transform or construct, better said, or they can deconstruct or destroy, depending on how one uses words to convey their thoughts. This morning, I want to concentrate on seven simple words in the first verse. Depending on the translation, it simply reads like this. Now the serpent said to the woman. That's it. That's all I need. Now the serpent said to the woman. I've given title to this sermon, Words Laced with Deceit. Words Laced with Deceit. In a previous sermon, I noted we no longer live in the world of Genesis chapter 1, where speech existed in the realm of perfection. It was then accomplishing the objective of its commission, and that is to execute whatever God has spoken in sending the word out. But that paradise that we see in Genesis 1 has been lost, and speech now has been tainted, and the pendulum swings in terms of purpose between good and evil, between being productive and non-productive, between life and 
and death amazingly all coming from a small member of the anatomy called the tongue. But remember, the tongue is nothing more than an instrument being used in the anatomy. What changes speech is not so much the experience of dialogue between two persons, but to whom you are dialoguing, the recipient of your language, and more importantly, the motive that inspires what you are saying. There are three gateways to the compass of influence in the life of the human being. There is the gateway of the eyes, what you see, the gateway of the ears, what you hear, and the gateway of the mouth, what you speak. And if you'd revisit the third chapter of Genesis, each of these gateways have been exploited by a previous unheard voice in the Garden of Eden. While it is still true that God speaks and that everything we say is rooted in God's word unto us, there is still another voice in the garden that initiated a great war of words that now every single day we manage to remain in the fight. In that perfect world of Eden came the voice of a serpent who for the first time on earth challenged the position and the authority and the very words of God. For the first time in the history of creation, words were now spoken that were not consistent with God's standard and design. This creature called the serpent spoke words from that day forward that created a confusing arena of sin and struggle with the simple, profound statement, now the serpent said to the woman. Breaking through each of those gateway entries, simply saying to the woman, breaking down the doors to each gateway. He spoke to her eyes, he spoke to her ears, and then he spoke through her mouth coupled with the various subtle but profound statements that changed the course of history, humanity, and especially the art of what we now call communication. We are introduced to a creature who historically is described by both the Israelite and the Egyptian in their world context, along with their imagination as something or someone who possesses mystical power and the wisdom as well as demonic and hostility with the tendency to create chaos with its motivation. Already in history, both Israel and Egyptians tell us that there is something strange about this serpent, although mystically empowered, at the end of the day, its motivation always ends in chaos. In the ancient world, the serpent is believed to be the possessor of both divine and semi-divine qualities. If you notice in the medical field, the snake is an emblem of health. 
it can be seen moving around the stick to suggest both health and fertility, but also in mystical as well as occult religions, it can be representation as immortality and occulted wisdom. And then the serpent seems to suggest chaotic evil everywhere it goes. And if you look deeply, you'll find that there are even people who actually worship the serpent. In other words, the serpent is not just a slithering, smooth, slow, methodical, deceptive, colorful, strategic creature. But the serpent is crafty, shrewd, and cunning. And amazingly, no matter what translation you read in reference to the word shrewd, cunning, or crafty, each of those words have the very same root in terms of its etymology. And that is that the creature that we call the serpent or often defined as the devil, Satan, Beelzebub, it all suggests that at the root of its motivation, it can lead to a fitting remedy to address the naivety of human beings. In other words, the devil preys on ignorance and loves what you don't know. Words were selected by the serpent as a weapon of mass destruction. He didn't use the bite, he didn't use the curl wrap of suffocation, not even a literal injection of poison, but an act of which each of those characteristics are deeply encompassed through the venue of words. Nobody has to bite you. Nobody has to curl their arms around you and suffocate you. They don't even have to literally inject you with poison. If they say the right words, it carries both the same connotation and effect if you can't find the right solution for its healing. Notice that the word crafty can be a good word and a bad word. It's a good word for strategic intelligence, but it carries also the connotation of being negative, meaning that crafty means I have the power, the authority, and the wherewithal to injure you, to incapacitate you, and even destroy you. Words are and can be, amazingly, on one hand, used to elevate, encourage, affirm an individual in the space that they are. But at the same time, those same very words can be reversed and used to destroy you, to annihilate you, to humiliate you, to reduce you to nothing more than an object standing before the presence of human eyes. I'm talking about words and their devious effect. For that's what we find happening in the narrative of Genesis 3. And notice I said previously that the serpent, the devil, Lucifer, Satan, he moved to incapacitate God by several means. Watch closely. In Genesis chapter 3, listen closely to the first verse as the text, the writer, insinuates to us that the serpent begins to speak. 
and says to the woman by first challenging the very words of God. So the serpent says, the only way I'm really going to get my way in this scenario is to challenge what God has said to creation. So he says to the woman, first of all, did God really say you can't eat of the tree? Did God really say that, that you can't eat of the tree? Translation, has God said you can't do it? In other words, Satan says to Eve, don't talk to God, talk to me. It's, it's more important that you and I dialogue because God is talking language that there's a bit of fear and frustration and anticipation of agony. And, and you don't want to hear God talk directly to me. And amazingly, in reading both verse 1 and 2, that is exactly what the woman did. Eve converses with the serpent and verse 2 says, and the woman said to the serpent. He told the woman, talk to me, to God. And the woman began to converse back unto the serpent. That's the reason why you got to be careful who and what you allow to enter the gateway of your hearing. There were voices and there will be voices that will challenge the words that God has spoken for your hearing. Here's a question for you. How well do you engage and entrench the words of John chapter 10 and verse 10? The thief comes not but for to kill, steal, and destroy. I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. How entrenched are you in that word? Let me tell you why. When you read the context of John 10, Jesus is more concerned about teaching the disciples about who they allow to enter into the gateway of their hearing. Listen to the text in John 10. Jesus says, I'll tell you anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate, must surely be a thief and a robber. Anyone who has to exercise deceitful behavior or utilize deceitful words is nothing more than a thief and a robber. Verse 2, but the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The one who is really honest about confronting and conveying to you is an individual who just may have your soul at best interest. Listen to the story. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize the voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and lead them out. Jesus warns the disciple, be careful who you let into your ear because the wrong shepherd will lead you in the wrong direction. But those who know the voice of the chief shepherd of their soul allows that voice to speak unto them. And when that voice is spoken, they know who that is and they follow because they know the voice. 
Verse 4, after he gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them and they follow him because they know his voice. Now the text raises the question, who are you following? Whose voice are you listening to on a regular basis? Who's actually speaking to you? Who's in your ear? Who's actually working on your conscience and your soul? Who's depositing information in your being? The person who knows how to guard their gateway, verse 5 says, they won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. Have you yet determined how to discern the difference between when God speaks and when the serpent speaks? Do you know the difference? Because if I read the Old Testament, the Old Testament says, and the New Testament, but the Old Testament says, it, it, the, 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 the evil one can speak in such a strange language, and yet it sounds so familiar to God. Paul comes along to the Corinthians and says, be careful, because the devil can show up as an angel unaware. He comes like an angel of light. His, his words can be so craft and can sound so holy. That's the reason why I tell people you have to be careful about who you ask to pray for you because they may not know in terms of prayer who they're even praying to nor how to craft a prayer. You might have the wrong one praying for you when you think they're hearing the same voice that you are hearing. And amazingly, says John 10, this is not a literal story, says verse 6, but it's a metaphor that Jesus uses to teach the disciples about guarding your ears. Look at verse 6. Those who heard Jesus use his illustration didn't understand what he meant, so he explained it to them. I'll tell you the truth. I'm the gate for the sheep all who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I'm the gate. Those who come through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. But the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Well, what does that have to do with Genesis chapter 3? You can't see the parallel? They were fine as long as they were merely dialoguing and listening to the voice of God. Trouble came when the serpent showed up and posed the question, did God really say that? Questioning the authority of God's words in which he still says unto us when we take the word of God to be the authority of God and begin to stand on that and Satan shows up and says, did God really say that you can do all things through Christ? Did God really say that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof? You are in the hospital room trying to pray and intercede for somebody who's sick and the serpent shows up. Did God really say we are healed by the stripes on the back of Jesus? Your back is nailed against the wall and you're trying to pray through the storm and the serpent shows up with the question, did God 
really say? He will open doors that no man can shut and shut doors that no man can open. You are in war with the enemy. You know that you can win. You are going to win. But the serpent shows up and says, does God really mean and did he really say that he'll make your enemy your footstool? He poses the question to the woman to merely challenge the words of God to see just how in tune the woman was with the voice of God. And in challenging that, he threw her off course. He not only challenged the words of God, but he challenged the authority of God. Listen, listen to what the woman says. She responds back and says, oh yes, God says that we can eat of trees, but the tree in the middle of the garden, we are not only to not eat of it, but we can't even touch it. For if we do, we will surely die. Verse 4 says that the serpent looks at her and says, oh, that ain't true. You won't die. He looked and challenged the authority of God by responding to the woman's conviction. God says we can't do it lest we die. And the serpent says, translation Murphy, you got the authority to determine life and death by simply deciding on your own to make a decision. Wake up, woman up, wise up, take control of your destiny. Don't let God tell you what to do with God's restrictive and immobilizing fear that you will witness who you can be without God. There it is right there, it's right there in verse four. There it is. Look at verse five. God knows that when your eyes are open and you eat of the tree, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Watch the craftiness of the serpent. He shifts from the ears to the gateway of the eyes. He tells a woman, God knows that once you eat, ah, the mouth, your eyes will be open and you will know the power of knowledge. You will know the difference between good and evil and you will now recognize, I don't need God. Shoot, I got this thing all under control. Who needs to have to pray to God externally when I can just handle this all by myself? Because I got knowledge and power now. The writer of Proverbs says there is a way that seems right unto the man, but his end leads to destruction. This wise in knowing, convince this woman not to allow God's restrictive power to invade her space. She can recognize how powerful she can be without God. God knows that in the day that you decide to do your own thing, your eyes will be open and you will be like God with the power of knowledge and knowing. And life's ultimate decisions between what is good and what is bad, you can now decide. 
Therein lies the reason why you have to guard your mouth and your ears and your eyes. Because deception opened her eyes wide enough to envision where she could be in denying the authority of God. Now, I know you're trying to figure out, so what does all this mean? Well, I'm trying to simply tell you, stop laying, stop allowing the devil to play games in your mind when God has already spoken a word to you with clarity, take that word and run with it and understand that every time you decide to embrace and embed the word of God in your mind and spirit, the serpent will show up for the purpose of a dialogue. Let's talk. I don't want to argue with you. I just want to talk to you just a little while. I I just want us to talk about the word that God has said. I, I want you to see the rational and the logical aspect of what God is saying. Is it really true? Does that really happen? In fact, let's just look at the Bible overall. Is it really a logical document to build your entire life on? I mean, who really believe that there is two million people who stands at a seaside and God opens up a sea and holds waters up in the air and lets somebody cross over on dry ground? Now, come on now. How is that going to happen? How is that going to be real? Utilize your logic that God has given you I mean who actually can get into a furnace burning and stay there and then be brought out and there's no burnt element in them at all and there's not even the hint of the smell of smoke on their hair or on their clothes I mean come on who naturally believes a story like that? Who do you know can take two fish and five loaves of bread and feed a multitude of 5,000 people and then have baskets left over? I mean, come on. Use your logic. That, that, that's all the devil. That's, that's just talk. I, I just want to talk. That's all. I, I just want to talk. There it is right there in verse 5. I just want to talk. I, I just want you to see, does this really make sense? I, I just want to talk. That's all. I, I just want to use some words. So Paul comes up in Ephesians 5 and 15 to remind us, King James Version, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil, always understanding what the will of the Lord is. I, I like the fact that Paul begins by saying, see, recognize that you walk that you carry yourself circumspectly in, in old King James, but well, we don't use that anymore. It simply means to walk carefully and cautiously, not as a foolish person void of wisdom, but as a wise person connected to wisdom. But if you back up in Ephesians 5 and read verse 6, Paul is once again addressing the issue of words. He says in verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words for then the wrath of God comes upon the children of disobedience the devil is crafty and he's smart and he laces his words with deceit and unless you are in tune with God I'm not talking about shouting 
I'm not even talking about singing. I'm talking about a long time with God in the Word. I'm talking about reading and then allowing God to talk back to you in the text so that it can be translated into a reality of living because listen, you can read the Bible and it's still out there somewhere just, just reading words and it doesn't become impacting until it comes down to where you are and is then woven into your life. And the devil challenges the words of God. He challenges the authority of God. Look at the text, but watch this. He challenges the position of God. Because he tells the woman in verse 6, now that I've got your ear, and now that I've, I've put some seeds in your mouth, let me open your eyes a little bit more. And verse 6 says, the woman was convinced. That's why I took this translation. She was convinced. How, how can you be convinced by evil? The woman was convinced. She took the serpent's word over God's word. I told you, you can have all of the run of the mill in the garden. Any tree you want, but that one in the middle, just stay away from that. For the day that you do, you will surely die. I talk about this position thing, because I go back to something that the serpent said. God knows that in the day you eat from the forbidden space, your eyes will be open, and here it is, you will be like God. In other words, you don't need God as your savior. Dethrone God and put yourself there. Why, why would you need God to lead your life? Why would you need some divine direction, new age spirituality, when you got all the divineness inside of you? And all of that is true, but amazingly, it's insinuating that nothing transcendent can work within the context of your being. You don't need it. All you need is yourself because you are smart enough, wise enough, got enough intelligence, got everything you need to direct your own and answer all of life's puzzling questions. If, if, you, if you can't trust technology, if you can't trust intelligence, if intelligia can't help you understand what's going on, who can? How, how does it make sense that there is a transcending God who, who can bring peace when there is no understanding? Who believes that? How is it that you can read a story that says that some men were on a boat one day out on the Sea of Galilee and a storm arises and the storm threatens their very existence to the point where they believe they had salvation on board but they couldn't understand why salvation was sleeping when the storm was taking place. And they look at salvation and says, do you not care that we're going to die out here? And yet salvation stands and looks at a storm and calms it down. And leaves them mesmerized to the point that later on they ask the question, what manner of man is this 
that even the waves of the sea bow down to his commands. And that's because you can play around the devil if you want, but when the storm arises in life, uh, you won't find the evil one standing up to cry out, peace be still. You will find the evil one standing up to cry out, commotion be inspired. Chaos take control. You will find the evil one turning your life upside down to the point where we say, if it ain't one thing, it's another. All the time, every time you turn around and look around, it just keeps coming one after the other, morning by morning, every single day. Trouble is all around. And I don't know about you, but I'm not like Eve. I'm going to understand that there's a God to which when the storm arises, I just look up and say, Lord, I don't understand, but give me some peace. Help me when I can't understand what's going on. Well, the serpent said, you don't need God. God. God can't calm every storm, and I'm a living witness this morning. Yes, he can. He can calm the ones that I understand, and even the ones that I don't understand, and the ones that I have seen, and the ones that's on the way. I've got to believe that he's a calm storm. He knows how to calm the raging seas. The serpent says, don't, 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 don't you dethrone God. Her eyes were opened. And I don't know about you, but every time I witness God's glory and God's grace, my eyes are open and I recognize, hey, here's one more time. <clears throat> Didn't know how and when and even why I got through. Have you ever, listen, let me ask you, have you ever got through one of them moments in your life <clears throat> where you finally got over it and then you are in the comfort of your own moments and you're sitting there wondering, man, I can't believe I made it through. In fact, there were moments when I thought I was going to lose my mind and you start asking yourself the question, how did I get through? And then you start singing, how I got over. My soul looks back and wonder how I got over. But just as soon as I start thinking about this, I remember how he opened doors. I remember how he calmed the enemy. I remember how he gave me strength. I remember how he regurgitated my joy. I remember how he remained true to his word. I remember how he lifted me up. I remember how he kept me on the way. I remember how he restored my soul. I remember how he loved me. I remember how he kept me. I remember how he wiped away all tears from my eyes. I'm just trying to tell you every time God comes through, he opens my eyes. See, the devil never wants you to see God at work. He never wants you to see the victorious aspect of what God is. All he wants you to see is the pain. And it behooves us to understand you got to look beyond the pain and see the victory. Especially after you already know that the fight is fixed. It's fixed. I've all, look, the W is already in my corner. 
So the devil questions the position of God. The devil tells the woman, you no longer need any external recognition of God because you will see all you need is internally embedded. You are the master of your own faith, the master of your own soul, the master of the throne of your own life, and God does not need a position of authority in your life. Listen to those words of deception. And the woman heard her ears and saw her eyes what the serpent was saying with words. Because verse 6 says that she saw the situation as the serpent saw it. Oh, you didn't get that. Let me say it one more time for you. She saw her life moment as the serpent saw it. Rather than to see it as God saw it, she saw it as the serpent saw it. How do I know that? Listen to verse 6. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom from it. She saw it as the serpent saw it. What did she do? She changed her worldview lenses and began to see her life no longer through the lenses of God, but through the lenses of the serpent whose words were laced with deception. She saw God's word reduced by skepticism and elevated the words of the serpent to relativism. She told God, your words are archaic, behind time. It looks like the serpent's words sound more relevant because the serpent has convinced me that you are afraid that once I start seeing, I will be a God like you. She saw that the tree was good, the life to her eyes, desire to her wisdom. She took the fruit and she ate it. She removed God from the position of authority in her life because she couldn't resist the serpent singing. Pre-Asley Brothers. It's your thing. Do what you want to do. Pre-Asley Brothers. Oh, there it is right there, already in the text. I can't tell you who the sockets Deceitful words are dangerous. Deceitful words are dangerous because they very well could not only mislead and destroy you, but everyone who's associated and connected to you. See, li li listen to the text. Her eyes were open. She took the fruit and ate of it. Last line of verse 6. Then she gave some to her husband, and he ate also. It was adverse now because not just one, but two people now see life differently than ever before. The occasion in the text highlights the importance of recognize how people can use words to deceive or have an adverse meaning that grows out of the wrong motive. 
Guard your ears, guard your eyes, and guard your mouth. Because information could very well contaminate decisions you need to make if you're getting it from the wrong source. See, listen, listen to verse 7, and then I'm done. When they ate the fruit, says verse 7, at that moment, clause A, their eyes were opened. God was no longer the authority of their life in the sense of being thrown of their heart. They moved God off, even if it's only temporary, and moved Satan in. An awful, uh, even more awful conclusion is, read the text closely, they didn't even recognize it. See, when you go on to read the story, we'll talk about that in the next sermon, God comes in. And for whatever reason, they run and hide. How, how, how do you run and hide from goodness and mercy? How do you run and hide from grace and favor? How, how do you run and hide from protection in the storm and hope in the wilderness? But the text says when their eyes were open, they realized they were naked. And they began to sew together fig leaves to cover themselves. Here's my closing line. That's what the serpent, the devil does when he gets into your head. See, once he convinces you that you don't need God, what happens? He strips you bare. And then when you realize you are now stripped bare, you are struggling trying to figure out how do I put myself back together? And you start putting together fig leaves to cover up your nakedness. See, those very words are the reason why we don't allow words to intervene in our life so that when someone who has a genuine concern about what's going on with us, we don't let them in because we are so naked, we're trying to put together fig leaves that we don't want other people to see that we are naked. But let me just give you a little... It, this might be a revelation for somebody, and it also it might be eye-opening. It may be a huge shock. All of us are naked, and we all are trying to sew together some fig leaves because I don't want you to see me in my naked state because then it might depict that I'm not as righteous as you thought I was. But what it really does is suggest that I'm doing the same thing everybody else doing. I'm trying to work out my soul's salvation with fear and trembling. And it's suggestive that I know I don't have it all to get. Listen, let me just help you. You might as well go on and admit it. I mean, I don't care what you hear, just admit it. I don't have it all together. I mean, sometimes I'm cracked up. Sometimes I'm mentally deranged. Sometimes I'm spiritually deficient. Sometimes I don't cross all the T's and dot all the I's. Sometimes I say the wrong stuff. Sometimes I think the wrong stuff. Sometimes I look in the wrong direction. Sometimes stuff just go wrong. Sometimes I'm the instigator of stuff. Sometimes I'm the perpetual 
waiter of stuff. I mean, you must just go. I, I know we want to look holy and beautiful and, and we want to look adoring and, and we want to look admirable before the place of God. But the reality is God knows that we ain't nothing but filthy rags and we working trying to clean this thing up and we got fig leaves all over us and he's trying to help us work together for the good. That might help somebody. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I don't have a suit on. I want you to see. I'm, I'm normal. I'm regular. I'm just like everybody. I'm regular. It's too hot for a suit, so I don't want a suit. But my, my point is, I'm regular. I'm like everybody else. I feel like everybody else. They hot, I'm hot. They cold, I'm cold. I feel it. Here it is right here. Eve is trying to warn us in a very inadvertent way, be careful who you listen to in terms of getting your wisdom. Because if God ain't speaking, watch the devil. Because he can speak to a point where it sounds almost exactly like God's words. And it's always with the question, did God really say that? Lord, thank you for the word of Genesis chapter 3. 